Hello, thank you for listening to the Trinity Ability Co-op podcast. The Trinity Ability Co-op is a cooperative of students with disabilities working together on projects to promote disability inclusion on campus. This episode is about language around disability. This is part one of a two-part episode. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, my name is Donna Brown and I'm doing a master's in education early intervention in Trinity College Dublin and I'm here today with Gigi uh, and Jordan to talk about language around around disability. Uh, Gigi would you mind telling me about what you're doing in Trinity? Yes, um, thank you for having me. I'm uh, currently on Erasmus in Trinity. I'm doing a postgrad in English literature so I'm just here for the year um, and obviously because I'm an English literature student, I am very aware of like the importance of language. So I'm really excited to be on here today. Great. And Jordan? Yeah, thank you for having me on as well. So my name is Jordan. I'm a third year uh, studying human genetics. So not as well versed in language as some <laughs> other people here, but very happy to be here regardless. Great. Um, so I wanted to talk to you firstly about um, unacceptable language around disability. So I don't know about whether you'd know this, but the, there's two different uh, slurs that are for, for disabled people uh, or described for disabled people. Uh, one of them actually comes from um, the 1800s where if, um, if disabled people weren't able to take care of themselves and there was, there was no family they were actually essentially made homeless and had to actually have a cap in their hand to basically beg and then the other words is mean basically means that develop, de- developmentally slow um so I wanted to ask you, what do you think about when people use disabled slurs as throwaway language? Um, Gigi, what, what would you say? Yes, I think one of the issues with that is that a lot of people don't really mean any harm with it, but they're just not really aware of, you know, they wouldn't be aware of the history that you've just explained. To be fair, I wasn't, I'm not going to lie. But um, I think that's part of the problem. People just, as you said, it's throwaway language. Like they don't really think about the impact that these words have. And I've spoken to people and like called them out on it. They were like, oh, I didn't actually realize that this word was like ableist at all because they just never really thought about it because if they don't have any disabilities themselves, they might not feel like, you know, like it's relevant to them. So I think a lot of the time it's just like the best approach is to just address it and like tell people, do you know what, actually this can be quite hurtful and for that and that reason. And a lot of the time I think people will just understand and will try and like monitor the language a little bit more. Um, so Jordan, do you think while society fully understands the impact of slurs, like what DG just described? And why would you think? Um, yeah, I think again, like, uh, that do you see them so sort of like throw away as Gigi said sort of very throw away you know not really meaning like anything like ableist behind it but once you sort of you know pull it up again and you know tell them like I said the history that you said about it and t- and talk to them about you know how it would affect someone and that kind of thing I think nine nine times out of ten people would you know be apologetic and would make an effort to try not to use it again I know that happened to me with 
Uh, for example, like my sister will go around saying the developmentally slow slur sometimes. Uh, and I just pulled up on it one day and said, uh, I, talked about, I talked about it, sorry, can you please not say anymore? It kind of hurts my feelings a bit. And like, I haven't heard her say it since. So I think that's just an example of, I think it's more just the information is not available to people. I think if the information was more available, there would be a massive reduction in those slurs being used. Yeah, like I definitely do think there needs to be more education involved, even like I'm talking from like primary school age, because I think that's where it really, it really stems from because like children don't necessarily understand what they're saying. Like they don't mean to say what they're saying. They're just hearing say, you know, either mama or daddy or their brother or sister saying those terms and they're just thinking oh it's just it's fine like I haven't been brought hasn't been brought to my attention um so I'd like actually like to talk, talk about the your experiences around um disability language like I know for me um like I've both um negative experience and a positive experience around um uh, language around disability so when i was in secondary school i moved schools to do my lean cert and i remember this particular girl in my my class and she was in a very very bad mood you could see very clearly that she wasn't having a good day and she basically just said out to the class the teacher the teachers treat us as if we're insert self-reference and I remember that day like thinking try not try not cry try not get upset and um you know go back go back to your day and I just remember coming home like oh crap what just happened and then vice versa the a couple of years later a friend of mine I did my undergrad with she we were talking about nine months at the time and she just said Lorna like what do you want to be referred as and here's me thinking what like what do you want to be referred as like in terms of disability and I just looked, I looked at this girl as if she was an alien. I was like, people like you exist. Um, and like that, I just said, as long as you don't use those two terms, I couldn't give two monkeys. So have you had both good or bad experiences or what's, um, Jordan, what, what would you think? Um, I've had yeah the same as same as you. I've had both good and bad experiences with it. Um, at one time in particular sticks out uh, a positive experience. Um, me and my and some of my friends who also narrowed it down one day, and one of friend, one of our friends kind of says, you know, how about like we all just you know. Yeah, you know, which basically said we just go around and say person with disability, person with autism, autistic person, etc. And it was just like a really nice sort of bonding moment for everyone. And like 
it was sort of like really helped us sort of click together and sort of be like, yo, this is a good, good, strong link. At least now we know what to refer to people as. And that really helped that sort of Frederick group that I'm still in today pretty much sort of thrive and continue to do well. Mm. Uh, what about you, Juki? Have you had any bad experiences or, um, and also like, has the your experiences made you stronger? Yes, I would agree with both of you have said, like, I feel like there's been like a very positive shift in recent years. Like people are becoming more aware of it. But growing up for sure, like I always actually identify as disabled because it kind of took me a while to realize that I was in a sense, because I always thought I wasn't like disabled enough. Um, so I think um, when I was younger, a lot of the time, I just felt like, the sense of like obviously the slurs being very wrong and I was very upset by them but I wouldn't always feel like they were addressed towards me sometimes I did but not always um and I, I think because I grew up in Germany and like um it's quite interesting because they're like even people who are like you know very politically left-wing a lot of the time they will use like um basically the German translation for the word disabled in a negative context so they will literally say oh that's so disabled meaning something negative um, and even like close friends of mine would do that. And as soon as I pointed out to them, they're like, oh my God, you're right. That's actually so messed up. But people wouldn't think about it. So I'm glad that there's like more of a conversation going on now. Um, and especially what, what, what we've just said as well, like, you know, the kind of identity first or, you know, disability first language question, that's so important. And I'm so glad like people are just making that like in the same way as you would like ask for people's pronouns, for instance, making that like a thing to just ask, like, how would you prefer me to refer to you? Um, rather than just assuming and, you know, because it's, it's it's good to just have discussions about and be open. Um, and also, obviously, it, it does, like, take a lot of, like, strength for people and, like, energy to constantly call others out, especially, like, us as disabled people's, people themselves. Like, I feel like we shouldn't be the only ones doing that work. Um, so I would appreciate, like, more, like, other people just standing up for us in those situations as well because you don't always want to out yourself with your disability either. Um, so I think it's important that everyone kind of takes more responsibility. And, you know, when when someone does mess up and like says like something that they shouldn't have said, just take them to one side. You don't have to do it in front of everyone either. Just take them to one side, explain why it's problematic. And then hopefully they'll be able to learn from that. Um, and I do think it, it does make all of us stronger. Like it's never going to excuse um, any of that behavior. Um, but it does make you very resilient in a way. And I feel like it does help me like approach these conversations better now. Would you say that it brings kind of a, like using the first person language would like brings a bit more empowerment, like hands the power back to the disabled person? Um, Jordan. Um, I think if you use sort of first-hand language, like it does sort of resonate a bit more with people. So, mm. so like it, it makes it a bit more sort of like personal. So when you say something like, oh, instead of like, oh, this could make someone feel bad. If you say something like, I feel bad for, um, for you using like this language. Or again, the positive aspect is like, instead of saying, oh, some person might feel happy. So it's like, I feel happy. You know, it makes the person, it hits a lot more close to home to to the person, especially since, like, especially if it's someone that you that you know as well, you know, I think it, it that does definitely help. Mm. Um, so I want to even ask how, how, what or who has helped you? So for me, so my um, I've cerebral palsy, and even though my 
disability is classed as um, physical, it actually more affects me language-wise because taking in information. So, like, for me, um, there's like one of the girls in my in my strand actually helped me out a lot uh, even this week because she rephrased the I sent her a screenshot of the of our assignment and she basically rephrased the whole the whole sentence of like what we're supposed to be doing. Now from that for me she what she did is she took something I was things that I got myself way too in over my head. Like okay no this assignment is actually manageable. So I wanted to ask you, like, is there anyone who kind of impacted on your life um, uh, that has helped you in any way? Like, can be friends, family, anyone. Uh, Gigi, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so I think for me, it was just like getting a sense of community. So actually, I think when I first realized, you know what, maybe I am part of the disabled community. I think that kind of happened just from like, cause I wanted to educate myself more in dis disability topics. So I ended up following loads of people on Twitter and that's how I realized, oh, do you know what? I am part of this community. Um, and that's been so helpful to kind of just have that support. You know, there's people going through similar things like facing similar hurdles and just kind of having that exchange there, but also, I'm very privileged in the sense that I can be very, very open about these things with my friends as well. And they've been incredibly supportive and just having people there that you can actually talk to and, you know, that understand their needs. And I like, you know, actually trying to meet them as well. I think that's so important. Like the fact that you felt comfortable to ask uh, the girl in your class, could you rephrase that for me? I think that's so good to have people in your life that you can actually ask for this, this kind of like the things that will make things more accessible to you. Um, so I think, yeah, in general, like just finding people that are either affected in a similar way, I think that can be really reassuring because you do feel alone and isolated in your disability sometimes. Um, also just like in real life, having close friends um, that are there to support you can make such a difference. Like I I know there's this particular girl, um, like I've known her since I was about five, that's really kind of impacted on me, like positively. Um, like for me, I've always struggled around the language around disability because I've, let's just say I've had more kind of negative responses towards it than I've had positives. But what she did from about, like I said, I've known her since about five, but from the moment I met her, she knew how to not talk and just listen so like she would just let me ramble on she won't care and she's like no i understand would you say like how important that is within society like having those type of people um to actually listen to disabled issues uh jordan what would you i'd love to get your opinion on it yeah like you're like it's not it's I suppose everyone, like, you know, you need someone to be able to talk to and for them to listen. But I think more so in the in disabled community, you know, it's it's nearly just as important. So, like, for me, that person would be, like, my mom. You know, she's been supportive 
ever since I got my my diagnosis, and you know she's helped you know sort of helped me sort of come to terms with it and help me out with issues and you know re- really sort of you know put you know no one say push it just more encouraged me to sort of you know get a little bit outside my com- of like comfort zones and tries to help me just like and just listen to my to like issues and stuff that I have as well like I don't know what I do without her then as well as that you know as like the both of you friends uh for me have been really important as well like what does again one friend in particular in my course who I could just come up to and just say look I'm having one of those days and uh where i just can't do any work i you know brain goes burr and uh she'd be like don't worry about it i you know i can send you over my notes so at least you're not falling behind then and you just look at them when when you can pretty much so it it is important to have someone to talk to and especially like as, as well as that someone sort of inside the community as well sort of like knows your issues and possibly could offer solutions as well uh is also just really important and really good to have mm. like i love your example there jordan like i know even for me one of the girls in my strand actually like i was telling her like i have um i get pains in my legs at certain points don't know randomly certain certain points i'll get pains in my legs and i was talking to one of the girls and she just turned around to me and said like, is there anything you want me to like get and I'll drive it down to you it's like not really like there's nothing you can do like I just need to have like some type of heat on my legs but it's the, I think it's those mundane little things that you know will actually make your life easier even if it's just offer it like like I honest like probably in like the last year how like there I've only realized how much there is more good people than there is bad when it comes to people trying to help you. Do you know what I mean? Um, and this actually brings it nicely onto who, like people who inspire inspire you. So for me, I've four amazing women uh, in my life and two great men. Um, who have basically single-handedly said, you know, give me the slap and slap across the head psychologically and says, Lorna, you you have a disability, you're, but you're not stupid. You can get through this. Um, like as I said, my my best friend Emer, um, my mom, my nanny, I've a load of people. So I want to know who who inspires you in life. Um, that it doesn't have to necessarily have to be like a celebrity or it can just be someone in your life that can actually inspire you. What would you say, Gigi? Yeah, for me, it's, it's similar. It's definitely the people that I'm very close to. Um, so definitely like my, my three mates that I've known since I was about six. Um, they've just always been there for me and like they've kind of been there from the start and they, they always kind of know what to say and how to help me in every situation. And then also friends I've, I've only made like fairly recently that I've just become so close to. Um, two of my friends actually, like I had like a really bad depressive, depressive episode like over the summer and they were just there for me the whole time. They never like became impatient in any way. Um, like 
you know, I actually felt comfortable accepting help for them, which I think is so important because a lot of the time, like I, I just wouldn't, I would try to like deal with, with everything by myself, but they were so insistent and just kind of knew what I needed. You know, that one of them would come and like, just make me food and just, you know, they would kind of be so insistent to help me. And that's just what I needed. Cause I think sometimes you just do tend to like isolate yourself a little bit. And I think it's just that kindness that really inspires me. And also my friend, Sarah, who I met at Durham University. She's she's an absolute legend. She has several disabilities um, and she's so resilient. Um, it's actually like so impressive to see everything she does because she's got such a positive attitude towards life um, and kind of seeing like how well she's doing. That's always inspired me to do the same as she does because I'm like, you know, we can kind of support each other through these challenges. Um, and rather than like letting that stop us, like use that power that we we kind of need to overcome them to do to do even like better things after that. So. I think it's great to have like, you know, loads of people that are just like very passionate about what they're doing and just very kind to each other and willing to support their friends and do everything to make sure that their friends are okay as well. I think that's so important to have that community around you. Yeah, I love how, what you were saying there about like resilience and like passion. Like I know for me, my cousin Nelson, he's had over the last couple of years, he's had a very, he hasn't had a great couple of years and he's never allowed to defeat him like get him down or like he's always found a way to overcome the struggles and it's really really refreshing i think what would you even think Jordan, like with these type of people that having these type of people in your life that how it affects you in terms of your disability yeah like in terms of uh you know Having, having strong people around you with, with, with me personally this way I feel it's really really important and sort of really encouraging so if they can get through things then so I can get through things you know particularly for me like it'd be my really immediate family like my mom my sister and my grandmother you know we ha- you know have had the best time over COVID and that kind of thing but like you know, we haven't let it sort of get us down you know we're pretty st- much come out of the, like a stronger bond than ever pretty much and like we, you know, we all support each other. We all care for each other. Obviously, like my extended family as well also factor in that. But like, it's more my family that I live with has really, really helped. And then on top of that as well, uh, like you know, my friends as well really helped. In particular, two friends in particular, I'd say off the top of my head, probably uh, Foylon and Chloe. You know, I can sort of come to them with like any issues that I have in terms of like, especially like stuff my disability, but also just stuff in general. And like they do the same with me. We all sort of kind of support. You know, they, I support me, we, we support them. And it's sort of good to have that sort of, you know, strength around, you know, that you can sort of, you know, if you, even if you do fall, you feel like it will only be a matter of time before I sort of get back on my feet and, you know, can push forward and get through this. Mm. So, like, even like you say, like, they, have they helped you kind of like say, you know, they know certain kind of triggers that would kind of, um, certain triggers that would you know, set you off so to speak i don't yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so, like how like is there anything that like what they'll like is there anything that they'll do that will help to reduce those triggers or even like not the offset like say if you're out in like out somewhere and they notice something is there anything that they'll do to try and combat those um struggles yeah, yeah, uh, they would. Yes, like my mom knows that I have my sort of sensory problems, especially with noise. 
So mm-hmm. like whenever she'd see me sort of peeling off a little bit, even at home or if I'm out, she sort of says to me, you know, if you want, go and get your noise cancer headphones and just mm-hmm. relax for like 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. You know, it'd be something similar to like my friends. Well, no, one time I was out with a friend and I was going through like sort of nearly having sort of a panic attack. You know, probably it was, I think it was my first time out with like in Dublin since the pandemic. It was like a bunch of people. I'm like, oh God. Uh, but like they just said to me, just you know, the, the sort of five things you can see, four things you can feel, you know, that type of thing. And that helped really helped calm me down and you know, helped me sort of like get through the rest of the day. Yeah, because I know for me that, and my mom's actually done this beautifully over the last say six, seven years since I was a kind of teenager, where like she knows that if I end up having some sort of Either a bang attack or a meltdown or whatever it is, she'll just let me have it. She'll just won't bat an eyelid, but she knows the fact that once I come back, she's there. It's like, you know, like, it's like as if you're going on a rocket ship to Mars, and then when you come back, she's like, okay, you're okay. We'll sort this out because you know, you know yourself, especially with COVID, uh, everything had to move back online. And you know, I've, for me personally, I've a newfound respect for my mother. Like I, you know, I've always respected her, but at the same time, I was like, I was kind of thinking to myself, oh crap, how did she? You know, dealing with like her work and then having to deal with me. You know, I always say that there's a, there's a special place in heaven for parents with children with disabilities. Like, no one can take that away, I don't think. Um, so I want to actually talk to you about responsibility. So, uh, whose respons- responsibility is it to voice disability issues within society, Gigi? Yeah, definitely everyone. Um, I think that's part of the issue that um, people just assume, you know, it doesn't affect me and that's why I'm not going to speak up on it. And like, even statistically, like most of us are going to be disabled at some point in our lives um, in one way or another. So I do think like, even for selfish reasons, just get involved in the cause. Um, But at the same time, I do think it's important that, you know, people don't speak over disabled people. So I think the best way to go about is just giving disabled people more platforms and like making sure that their voices are being heard. Mm. So like, would you say that like disabled people, like non-disabled people and disabled people have to work together more so than like one particular group of people? Yeah, definitely. Like I know- Obviously non-disabled people would have to be the ones to listen more Mm. um, and kind of allow disabled people to kind of, you know, take the center stage um, but still, like, make sure that they can kind of empower those voices in, in any way that they can. Jordan, how would you think society can take on more responsibility? Um, I'd say more so just allowing more leeway and sort of, like, adjusting things. Even if it's just, like, a slight shift, it could mean a huge difference to disabled people. Yeah. Uh, even just those stuff like you know more you know clear instructions at you know 
say supermarkets or or like uh or even like, like a guard station or if they need to go through like a passport so if you're like having like a, they some kind of like a support group or helpline that disabled people can ring to kind of say look i'm having some trouble i don't know off the top of my head paying bills for example like would you be able to sort of help me walk through it or that type of thing you know allowing get i'd say more such it's 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 not really more about changing it's more just giving more it's giving disabled people more outlets to sort of seek help if they need us and also to provide some sort of you know a bit more help towards them i guess yeah so like i'm just thinking even as well like you know how like a lot of people don't understand the like you know how we we were talking about like the um don't accessible language and like like things that like people don't necessarily understand but like i know for me growing not, not even growing up but like sometimes i would use like dark humor about my disability just because you know the saying if you don't laugh you'll cry so that was like I use that kind of perception but do you think likes of going back to the responsibility that like people understand that you know yes like disabled people can use dark humour but it's separate from what like the responsibility of like not using that humour against them if you get what I mean so what I'm saying is like have you noticed that there's a bit of a shift in how we can mess around with our like our sorry we can use dark humor but a lot of people are like well if you don't actually because we can use it um because we use dark humor and they can't it's a do you find it's very hard to kind of distinguish between the two and then the responsibility is, it's like the line is drawn, Gigi. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Like, I have noticed that sometimes I would kind of joke about it because that is like a massive coping mechanism for me as well. And like, sometimes it's just, it just actually is funny. But I think sometimes people take it as some sort of invitation to do the same, mm. even if they don't have that particular disability, which can be a problem, but I think you know, I, I think I try to like just, you know, address it when I can um, and just be like, oh, do you know, it's, it's kind of a different thing when you say it because there is like a power dy dynamic there and just try and explain it that way, you know. And I think those conversations, like people are sort of getting used to them a bit more because um, there has been so many debates about it. Like even in other contexts, like, you know, with racism and stuff, like obviously, you know, there's like a similar power dynamic there and people are starting to understand that it's a different thing when a white person says some, something and when a person of color says something. So I think maybe that the fact that people are starting to understand understand that could also help in the context of disability um, because people are becoming more aware of, you know, the, the sort of like oppressive elements um, of it when it's coming from a group that isn't like part of the community. Um, so I'm hoping that more people are going to understand it and, you know, because it would be a shame if we, we would have to stop using sort of humor as a coping mechanism because I do think it can actually help and like bring the community together as well. Yeah. Like I know for me personally like, I'm talking with my friends, they're the first ones to say, 
right, if someone was to, um, if someone was to use that language against me, they'd be like, no, leave that to her because she has the right to, um, she has the right to, to use that language because of her disability. Is there anyone like, say, even like, say, if you're out during that, like, you know, category like, I'll say something when they, when they hear some type of language or like something that's been used against you? Would you say? Um, I don't really have much experience, to be honest, with uh, that sort of thing happening. You know, all my friend groups have been so like, if I do sort of say something off the cuff, you know, something like dark humor, you know, they would, you know, they obviously, you know, laugh. And so like, you know, since some of it is kind of funny, but like they wouldn't really use as an invitation to jump in and sort of say something bad as well. You know, they do Mm. sort of understand that sort of like that, as I said earlier, that sort of power dynamic. Um, Obviously, if I'm in with a bunch of friends who are also known of us, like they might join in then as well, then it becomes one massive sort of like joke party for the next five minutes or so. Like I'm asking where that like, if say, for example, if you're like your friends over here, someone like, like, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend using that, using that language against you, you, you'd know certain friends that like would say, no, that's not right. Would you, that's what I'm. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, like all my friends, you know, they would be so like, if there is like someone that says something against me or, or like uses a slur to describe me or that kind of thing, they would jump on them and say, hey, that's not right. You know, that that has so much, it's, it's the same way like, you know, if someone like negatively uses a slur against a person of color or, you know, that you know that kind of example, you know, the people jump, jump on them and say like, that's not right. You know, either take it back or just don't say it again. Yeah. You know, I have noticed that's kind of situation that would sort of like, you know, people would people would basically just jump in and say, don't say that, especially if it describes someone who is, you know, disabled, you know, in a negative light. Mm. So, actually, Jordan, I wanted to talk to you about the DU Neurodiversity Society. Um, just work away, like, tell me all about it. <laughs> of, of course. <laughs> How long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> well, it all started basically. Uh, I was on, I was in the uh, the Trinity Autism Drop-in Group, and I, we were just talking there with uh, some of my friends, and we were just kind of saying, "Hey, wouldn't it be really funny if we set up a stall at Freshers Fair and just flung stim toys at people?" Uh, that's that's how it started. I then like a couple of us was just sort of it got uh, the gears sort of turning in our head. We're like. Wait, we we can actually do this. So what happened uh, initially is myself and Foylon, who was sort of like, at, who are sort of at the core of setting this up. Um, we set up like a Discord server, and uh, that, and we got some more people on board. I'm um, Kieran, Secretary um, Abdul, then uh, signed on to be like our PRO, and it kind of just snowballed from there, sort of picking up speed. Bit by bit by bit, uh, we uh, we launched you know social media pages, uh, which you can find us on at Do You Know Diverse. And while this was all going on, we was, it was in the back of our heads, like, okay, 
there's a deadline we have to sort of submit all the stuff by so I think it was like within it took the space for a week I got the constitution of, of the society done up I was chosen as acting president because I have experience on other societies uh, Foylon was designated treasurer because he's the only one that did higher level maths for the leaving cest and we again just kind of snowballed from there and within like a week we got up to like so in order to basically set up a society in Trinity, you need 200 signatures on a petition and you need a constitution. And like within a week, we just got both of them, no problem. Uh, we Again, we started starting to do sort of events in in the Discord now. So we had, like for example, yesterday we had our, we had, we had our first uh, Minecraft hour. Um, uh, during the week, we have sort of lunch meetups. Uh, I believe soon we'll be starting a favorite uh, neurodiverse character in fiction. And I have been in talks with CSC, and they're going to be meeting with myself, Fuelon, and Keron, who's the secretary of the society, after the winter exams. And they're going to talk to us then basically about how basically to best go forward with the society. So all those things are really looking up for us so i just want to ask you like, how can people join the society if they wanted to well at the moment uh we obviously can't sort of do official registering or sort of like you know ask people to pay money to come into the society because we're not an official society yet mm-hmm. so in that way it's actually a lot easier to join than most other societies uh so we have a facebook and i believe a facebook and then we definitely have an instagram page and uh we should have the our discord server linked somewhere within our socials or you can just dm us and ask us for the discord link and that's sort of our main hub at the moment for for events and also the announcements of events uh we also are doing sort of weekly emails so you can get on to the second you know member of the committee if you want to be you know getting the emails every week please do they're very well written and they're awesome <laughs> and that's basically just the best ways the only ways to sort of sign up now obviously next year if we do get approved by the csc it will be the same way as signing up for any other society so through um the csc either portal or signing up on freshers week depending on what way things are come se- september of next year but yeah at the moment it's basically just sign up uh, so it's, it's not really a sign up it's more just getting involved in the discord or on coming to meetups or that kind of thing ah that sounds great like i know it's like i know there will probably be a lot of people actually um interested in hearing this would be interested in um joining um and definitely i think i'll definitely i'll definitely be joining um and to promote it anyway. We got um, another member. Let's go. <laughs> um. So I want to talk to you the to about you about perception of the word disability being a dirty word, and the importance of changing this frame of mind. Um. So I heard in an interview, I think it was two years ago, Taylor Swift gave a very good point. She was saying that in society there, she was talking about, uh, in the music industry, but you can kind of see this in society as well. She was saying how there's different vocabulary for both men and women. You know, like 
um, like for men that if they do something it's strategic if a woman does it it's calculated but I've noticed the minute you put the minute you bring disability into the into the forefront it's like people are saying, saying no I don't want to hear I, that's it like there's no sort of no one's with I find that it's no one willing to actually understand or listen to what the issues of sale people have so I want to ask you uh, Gigi why do you think why society is so afraid to talk about the word disability Yeah, it's a very difficult and very complex question. Um, and like, sometimes I don't really understand it myself. I, I have noticed like similar things. Like, I feel like as soon as you mention it, people get really awkward about it. I think it's just because um, people don't really know how to act around disabled people sometimes. And, and they're just, that's like part of the problem, I think, because a lot of the time disabled people aren't like part of conversations because we are like ex excluded because of the lack of accessibility. And that's why people aren't used to having these conversations. Um, and like literally, it, it's actually so frustrating to hear like non-disabled people talk about it sometimes because you can see like when they even say the word disabled, like their voice will like kind of go down a bit and like be very quiet. And you can tell like they don't even know whether they're allowed to say the word. And it's not a dirty word. Like, and I think we do need to like reclaim it for ourselves and just remind people that is a word that you use to refer to us and that it's so much better than using any sort of alternatives that actually kind of erase the fact that we are disabled um, and disabled by the circumstances in our environment that we live in. And it doesn't mean that there's something inherently wrong with us. It just means that society is disabling for us. Um, and I think that's something that people don't understand. And that's why they use these like alternative terms because they are like aware of it. And like they, they, do, they basically don't want to hurt any of us with their language. They just don't really know how to go about it. So I think a lot of it is just literally like a lack of education and just general insecurity around the topic because um, yeah, disabled people aren't included in the conversation enough and they, we don't get our say um, and that's why people just don't really know how to act around it and like what language to use. And Jordan, why do you think people get so defensive when like we try and explain like disability pe to, to people? I think it's also just people are sort of either afraid or non-conforming or borderline hate pretty much what they just don't understand mm. like i think they just don't understand you know our viewpoints and when we try to sort of explain our viewpoints to them it's going against either what they've been taught or what they think in their head and they're like no and i thought i'm supposed to be right because inherently we're in our heads we're all correct all the time uh i think it, as i said it's more just a they just don't understand kind of thing and they don't want to sort of like break their kind of mindset and just sort of like change it a bit just to sort of benefit someone else um yeah i think as i said it's, it's more sort of like they just don't understand and they just don't want to hear that some they might be wrong about something thank you for listening to the first podcast episode of language around disability part two will be out soon goodbye